Hi, I'm Matt Pacilli with the Virginia State Golf Association, and welcome to our Golf in the Commonwealth podcast. This month of sharing stories of black golfers in Virginia has been both educational and eye-opening. Also, did you know that the wooden golf tee was invented by a black man? Boston dentist Dr. George Grant invented the wooden tee in 1899 after what was centuries of golfers using wet sand to form a tee. You can and should learn more about Dr. Grant and his invention and prototypes at usga.org. This week, I have the pleasure of talking with comedian Micah Bam Bam White. Micah's only been playing the game for about three years, but is already down to a single-digit handicap and is continually seeking more ways to expose underprivileged juniors to the game through his community involvement in Richmond. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Micah Bam Bam White. Micah, thank you so much for joining us on the VSGA's Golf in the Commonwealth podcast. Your name is Micah White. You yes. uh, go by Micah Bam Bam White. Yes. Because you're, well, I shouldn't say because, but you're a comedian. I am a comedian, so yeah. Tell, tell us who you are and what you do. Well, um, <clears throat> I am Micah White, as you just stated. A lot of people know me as Micah Bam Bam White. I've uh, been doing stand-up comedy. It'll be 25 years in March, next month. Um, wow. Which is amazing due to the fact that I'm only 27. But um, it's um, something I've been doing for a long time. I um born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. But here in Richmond, I moved here in 1996 and stayed here for several years. And I actually moved to Los Angeles and lived in L.A. from 2009 through 2012. And was moving from L.A. to New York and was supposed to perform here at the Richmond Funny Bone for three days, which I did. And those three days ended up turning into me being here nine, roughly nine years later. So uh-huh. um, and I'm a big community person, um, love the community on a bunch of boards, pretty much all the boards that I'm on serve kids with the exceptions of VPM. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that's me in a, in a, in a quick nutshell. Now, you and I, I've known you since... 2015, when I had the opportunity to ask you to be a part of a panel, which included, which was sort of led by Dr. Wyatt T. Walker. Man. And Dr. Walker, um, who has since passed away, was the chief of staff to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And that was a special experience, probably more special for you uh, because of your community involvement than it maybe was for me or than I had the appreciation for at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Where I'm sort of going with that was that at the time that I met you, you probably didn't play golf. I did not. And (laughs) and now you are like a golf junkie. (laughs) I am. Um, No, I didn't play golf then, man. I was, um, I, I was on sports hiatus at that particular time. Um, when I moved out to L.A. 2012, I pretty much, you know, stopped playing everything. I was a big basketball guy and I played a lot of volleyball, too, because I coached volleyball at um, James River High School and um, put down basketball because of injury after injury after injury and just started to realize, like, bro, you know, you're not the age you used to be and you don't bounce back the way you used to. So now it's time to chill. So I went, you know, wholeheartedly into coaching. Um, and then I came back, Matt, to Richmond, um, 2015, wasn't doing anything. 
and I had played the game, but it was pretty much, you know, beer drinking golf with a corporation at some tournament that's captain's mm-hmm. choice. And we get to use like one of my putts on the whole <laughs> you know, um, so I'd been on the course, but it was, it was father's day, 2017 and a buddy of mine, Nick Hines and, uh, and his, and his, but another buddy, Anton, they have a father's day tournament down at dogwood every year. Okay. And, same thing. I was asked to come play in this tournament, you know, thinking the same thing, just going to drink a couple of beers and hopefully I make two or three putts. But I saw about 70, to be honest, black dudes at the course playing golf. And I had never seen that before. And when I saw that, and of those 70, about 20 of them were my friends, people I knew, people I had, you know, some some history with, relationship with. And I'm asking my boys, like, man, so this this what this what y'all do? They were like, yeah, this is what we do. So I picked the game up, played with them two or three times that following week, um, just trying it out. And after I played with them two or three times that following week, uh, Matt, in July that next month, I played 28 rounds of golf. Wow! And for the rest of that year, up until now, actually, from July 2017 up until now. I probably average about four rounds of golf per week. Some weeks is seven rounds or nine rounds. And some weeks, you know, because of like the weather the way it is now, I'm only getting one or two in. But it's about an average of four rounds a week since July 2017. What is is it that that got you so hooked? Man, I think think the number one thing was, um, you know, you, you have phases in your life where, Things are tumultuous and things are, are are kind of, I don't want to say chaotic, but things are uneasy when you go mm-hmm. through things in personal life. And golf showed up in my life in the beginning of those times. So that balance of being out on the golf course, not having to worry about the things that I'm dealing with when I'm off the course, that, that sucked me in because it wasn't a, how can I say, a, an, it was an authentic away from everything else. So I think that was the main thing. But then I think the other side of that same coin, which probably is just as serious, is that competition was back in my life, you know, Mm -hmm. where I said I had stopped playing all these other sports. Um, When golf came back up, when, you know, came back and came into my life, um, that that competitive fire wasn't out. It had been simmering. And now I got this sport that I can play. I feel like I can learn to play that poured gasoline on on top of that simmering flame that had been waiting for me to get back at some type of competitive level. And I was, dude, I was thinking about bowling. I was like, you know, I just need to go bowling. I can do that until I'm 90. Um, But then golf popped up and I'm all in now, bro. I'm all in. Yeah. yeah, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I came to your show at the Funny Bone in the winter of 2019. Yeah. And, saw you right before you went on and I hadn't seen you in a while and yep. you had a master's and I, I had known that you were into golf. People, yeah. somebody told me that you're, you're into golf and I was like, okay, you know, that's cool. A lot of, a <laughs> lot of people are into golf. I don't, you know, Bam's into golf. Bam's a great guy. Bam's into golf. Like, okay, that's cool. It ma- makes sense. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I had the opportunity to talk to you right before you went on and you had a master's hat on and I was like, all right, master's hat. Like, all right, Bam's into golf. Like, that's cool. <laughs> and, then you get up on stage and you're, you know, you're kind of introducing people and 
pretty much half the staff from independence is there. Yeah. And, and you're, you're thanking all of them and you're thanking Kelly for, uh, teaching me, you know, giving you lessons and getting you to where you are. Yep. Um, and you, you told a good story. You told, you had a story about, uh, your golf clubs being stolen also. <laughs> what, what, what of that can you share? Because I, I mean, this is coming. So this is 2019. Okay. And, and, you know, you're all in on the game at this point and then your clubs get stolen, man. That was a lesser person might just be like, this is a sign. I'm, I'm, I'm done. (laughs) No, well, not for me, man. (laughs) No, sir. Um, I was too far in. And, and so to, to talk about, you know, shout out to Kelly Hall, um, KMG golf instructions over at, um, independence golf course. So I was a, I come into the game in 2018 and when I come into the game, I'm sorry, in 2018 is when I got my first index. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a 34 index at the top of 2018. Of course, at that point, I had only really been playing for six months. Well, by the end of, or should I say the beginning of 2019, I was a 24 index. Move along to May 2019, I was a 19 index. And I went and took my first lesson from Kelly. And this is what I spoke about on stage. And Kelly, from May until December 2019, I had gone from a 19 index to a 9.2. So I become mm-hmm. a single handicap um, right in a period of, of let's say, two years. Um, and Kelly got it done for me in that period of seven, eight months. So right when I do this, I'm like, I'm a single index. So I go to Golf Galaxy because I told myself, I said, once I become a single index, I'm going to go and get fitted for clubs. So I go, I, I get fitted for clubs. I'm going to get the AP3s. Um, and right as I'm getting ready to get the AP3s, a guy handed me the P790s and I hit those. And I was like, oh, now I'm at a dilemma. So I left Golf Galaxy without ordering anything. Okay. Well, two weeks later, um, I have this house that I had on the south side. And I never really stayed at the house and because I normally would stay at my girlfriend's house. So I, I go to the house. I'm doing some work in the house. I decide to stay, sleep overnight. So I stay at the house overnight. I wake up the next morning, and I always kept my golf club. The way I used to keep my basketball shorts on up under my jeans back in the days is the way mm-hmm. I keep my golf clubs in my trunk, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of- <laughs> Such a good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> That's, so, so I always have them with me. Man, I get, get up the next morning, go to Brewer's Cafe, and shout out to AJ Brewer and I pull up and I noticed my glove. When I got in the car, I did notice that my glove compartment was open. So I'm like, I didn't think anything of it. So I get to um, Brewer's Cafe and I go to reach, and you know how you have like the loose little dollars in the middle of the console. Mm -hmm. I open the console and my dollars weren't there. So I'm like, oh, something's not right. I look in the the armrest, my change isn't there. So I'm on the phone in a meeting and I said, in the middle of the meeting, I yell out, Somebody's broke into my car. So like everybody on the meeting is like, what? So I'm like, hold on. So I get out the car. I see that everything's, you know, stolen inside the car. I get out the car, Matt, and I pop the trunk. And I didn't even look in the trunk. I prayed first. I said, Lord Jesus, please just let my golf clubs be in this trunk. And when I looked in the trunk, the trunk was empty. Everything mm-hmm. inside of me just, just, just went away. Because, and one thing I thought about, Thank God those that guy handed me those P790s. Because if I had ordered those AP3s, I would have had them and they would have been in my trunk and my brand new clubs would have gotten stolen. 
So mm-hmm. they got stoned, and now I got to replace everything. Um, but you know what's interesting about the golf community is I wasn't going to say anything, but it was it was heavy on me. So I did put it on Facebook that my golf clubs had gotten stolen, and it really wasn't to ask for anything. It was more of an emotional dump that I just mm-hmm. needed to get out, you know, because it was a very frustrating moment. But man, I now have three sets of very good golf clubs in the garage um, because people were like, Hey, I got these. I'm not hitting yet. I got these. I'm not hitting yet. But the ones I play with um, is a set that a guy by the name of Cam, who's over at independence golf club. I go into independence one day and the, one of the golf pros was like, Hey, somebody left something here for you. I look and Cam shout out to him had left me a brand new bag and a set of MP 59s. And I was hitting mm-hmm. the MP 54s. Um, so I started hitting the MP59s, and that's what I'm playing with to this day. Um, okay. I'm almost afraid to get a brand new set now. But next season, I will be playing with a new set that I get fitted for. But, yeah, man, they stole my club. But it didn't stop me. All that did was piss me off. It was, the, it, was the, it was the competitive devil trying to stop me and slow me down from becoming a pro. That's what that was. Well, and I think that, you know, one of the the, the, the points that you had made in that in that story as well was that, you know, you were starting to get serious about the game. And so you'd started to assemble the bag in yep. a way that was working for you. Yes. And a lot of golfers can, you know, remember that journey of whether it's hand-me-downs or, um, you know, used clubs from somewhere else or something like that. Yeah. Then when you get your first, whatever it is, like your, it's your first putter or your, you know, that's, new brand new no one's ever had that before um and and the feeling of those and then you know the care that you take for those and so you know you'd started to assemble some of these things and things that you know you'd maybe swapped out a wedge or to find one that was better for you and now to have someone having having taken that from you oh can you Um, hear the pain every time you Yeah, because you're right, man. You know, you, you get to the point. And even when, when the cops showed up and I was giving him, you know, all of the things that had gotten stolen and he wanted it piece by piece so that he can itemize it financially. Mm-hmm. Man, just telling him, you know, my driver, you know, I, I was hitting the Ping G30, um, which was fresh out the box. Um, I had gotten adjusted to that. Again, like I said, I was hitting the MP54s. I had bought those, had gotten adjusted to those. I had that... Um, Ping G400 for hybrid. That is my 220 club. Um, had gotten, that was my club there. I mean, I can get on in two with that one. I mean, I have a new one now, but those were the attachments that I had gotten to those clubs. I, you know, I got my um, Odyssey putter. I had paid 300 bucks for, which is my most expensive club outside of my driver. Um, and had gotten used to that. They stole that. But then you start to get like, you know, what the heck? Because I went online and found some of the stuff in my putter. I found it online for $90. I'm like, what the hell? I could have mm-hmm. got this for $90 in the mm-hmm. beginning. But, you know, I built my bag back up now. But you're right. Once you get that bag and that bag becomes part of that sweet spot in your game, that's a lot to overcome, man. That's a lot to overcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some other stuff. Bam, we're back. And I yep. I know that you had mentioned when you showed up at the golf course there in that Father's Day outing back in 2017, mm-hmm. you saw a lot of black men there and yep. you were and you were buddies with them. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, we're doing this? Like this. And 
you know, a big thing about golf is that in a lot of situations, or it's a situation with anything, nobody likes to go to a place that they're not comfortable with, that they don't see people who look like them and whatever that is. And those visuals are a lot of ways that we sort of identify with places. And golf is a place that when you show up a lot of times, you don't see black and brown people there to feel welcome or to feel a sense of community. How important was that for you? That was very important, you know, to the point that you just made, you know, people go where they, where they can see themselves. And that's not always, you know, racial. That mm-hmm. could, that could also be, you know, I, I'm a professional and I'm in a place where I feel like here a bunch of, bunch of attorneys. So I see myself here, if you will. Um, but me, you know, I saw myself there in two ways. One, by me being African-American. And two, the guys that I speak about, you know, most of those guys are athletes. So I got to see guys that I played basketball with and softball with and, and semi-pro football with now on the golf course. So that was very engaging. And, and it, you know, because being raised in Birmingham, Alabama, you know, I was raised in an impoverished neighborhood. Me and my, my grandmother raised me. We didn't have much. Um, the sports I had to play had to be free. Um, mm-hmm. I did play travel volleyball as a child, but I found out later in life that there was a family that was picking up the tab. I thought it was free, mm-hmm. um, but I found out later there was a family picking up the tab for me to play. So playing a, a sport like golf, when you think about the fiscal aspect of it, it's not something that you know is floated around in, in the neighborhood I was born in. Um, so being able to see, again, people that I knew started off in life like me at the golf course, it was just so many elements of me that I saw that day at that course and other people that made me say, I belong here, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And then being competitive, you know, with golf, the, the the person that you should always compete with is yourself. And, you know, as they say in golf, you know, when you're playing, you're not playing against the person, you're playing against the course. Um, so that was something that I could go out by myself. I didn't need people around me again to, to, feel that that competitive fire but seeing those people seeing those black brothers on that golf course having a good time belonging um that 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 helped me a lot in giving me confidence that I belong here and watching them play made me say I can do this too and so the journey started mhm what do you think could what do you think golf needs to do better and it's and it's mm-hmm. tough to sort of say that because there's not one person or one body or one thing that is golf, but what can we as golfers do to be more welcoming to diversity of all types, Mm -hmm. but especially of, you know, race right now, what can we do to be more welcoming at a golf course and create a more welcoming environment? I think number one, I think, you know, as we play the game for bad reasons, when it as it pertains to the media and, and and print and PR, I think we need to play the game for good reasons. You know, start putting regular images of black people, um, young and old, playing golf out in communities of color. So first, the communities can see themselves often being on the course. You know, um, if you look at most golf 
advertisements outside of first tee and tiger woods you rarely get to see you know black people on the golf course so even the images that are portrayed through media don't lend itself you know to young african-americans thinking it's a game for them then secondly you know find a balance to be able to go to some of these inner city schools specifically high schools um from the, the the point I'm coming from now, but go to some of these schools and help find four or five kids that can play the game and help these programs get started in school and and not, you know, get started and kind of walk away, but get started and, and lend help for years to come to make sure it maintains itself again, because mm-hmm. it's, it's a very expensive sport. You know, a lot of, not a lot of inner city athletic programs have the money to even pay for course fees to be able to um, play on different courses or have a home course. Better yet, you know, the kids buying the golf clubs and getting the lessons and things of that nature. And not a lot of inner city schools have a coach there that coaches golf. So someone from the community, you know, say, hey, I'll go to these pretty, you know, these inner city schools and coach the game of golf, get these kids involved in golf. And then I think from there, I think you work yourself backwards. You know, how do you as we're already doing with First Tee here in Richmond, I mean, Brent is doing an incredible job and his heart is in, it's definitely in the right place and trying to get lower income kids, kids of color involved into the sport. So, you know, that's already started, but then figure out how can we build and pour more into that so that it can become even bigger and better than what it is. Because I think the intentions are there when, as it pertains to local First Tee affiliate but I also think the movement is there. We just need to make it more, um, more visual and get some of these kids that have no idea that they can play the game. So I'm, I'm on the board for Boys and Girls Club. And one of the things that we're excited about is that we're going to end up sharing offices with the first team very soon. And we're looking at how can we create and, and strengthen partnerships between the Boys and Girls Club and first team so that the youth that we serve can start playing golf regularly. Um, I think once you start doing those things, but it still goes back to we need to be able to see ourselves there before we get there. So we can start putting out images and things of that nature on the television and print on social media and just general images. I'm not talking about intrusive stuff. Just general images that regularly show us on the course. I think those that'll start to change how African-Americans view the game and how they view themselves in the game. Because right now, all we got is Tiger Woods. And that's good. But, you know, of course, as you can still see from years later, we still got a whole lot of work to do. Right. Now, tell me a little bit about when you and I played, we played nine holes at the par three over at Independence back in the fall. You were talking about your passion for HBC colleges um, and their development of golf programs, whether it's Virginia Union or some of the the things that have gone on at Howard. Tell me a little bit about that passion, because obviously you can see how those, as we can get kids into golf programs, Mm -hmm. we can get them to visualize futures for themselves where they can earn a scholarship or play competitively and have all of those experiences that, that, that go with that. And, you know, have a college education in some cases mm-hmm. where that might not have been afforded to them previously. But I'm interested to hear more about your, your passion for the HBCU golf. Well, you know, 
sports at HBCUs, um, how can I say it? Sports at HBCUs is has always been a tremendous outlet for our community, right? So when you think about the gatherings and the energy that, you know, really puts, how can I, excitement into HBCUs, it's two things. It's, it's the band, and if you ever see my comedy show, you'll see where I'm coming from <laughs> with that, and it's the sports. But, you know, the prestige of sports is golf. And golf is always seen as this cerebral type of game because it is a very cerebral game. Mm -hmm. And I know that HBCUs are good with the two free sports. You know, we're good at football and we're good at basketball. And in some cases, we're even good at baseball. I mean, Virginia State had a, had years of t uh, where they were top dog in baseball. But again, it comes back to seeing ourselves. When I see that black kid at Virginia State University who has been playing golf since they were a child, a young child, it's like I want to pour more into that person mm -hmm. because <clears throat> that person, in a lot of cases, when you think about the social climate of golf, that person is probably the next CEO, one of those people, is probably the next CEO of some company. That's going to be a shaker of movie. That's going to be a conversationalist as it pertains to things that can move the black agenda ahead. You know, when you think about Obama, um, with his first week, what did he do? He went and played golf. Who, who was one of the first people he went and played golf with? Melody Barnes, who was one of his counsel who lives right here in Richmond, Virginia. You know, that was a meeting that they were having. Um, I understand how important it is to get those four hours to be able to converse with people. And if you're good at golf, I found this out. If you are good at golf, the meeting for some reason goes better. Um, <laughs> So how do you pour into that? And then I know, and I get afraid because when I think about the fiscal aspect of the game, I think about what I just spoke about as it pertains to high schools and inner city kids and how they can't afford it. I get afraid that at HBCUs, if the money runs short, the first game they're going to cut out is going to be golf. Mm -hmm. And I don't want that to happen. Um, I don't want them to cut out any sports. I want them to add sports. I would like for them to add lacrosse. I would like for them to add rowing. I would like for them to add crew, you know, things that aren't naturally in the African-American communities. But golf is there. So I want to keep it there as we try to find other ways to build other sports that aren't normal for the children of, you know, of my community, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that that's powerful stuff. And I know that there's, you know, that there's good programs like the first tee. And then with what we've been able to do or are doing at the VSGA with youth on course is to be able to lower that barrier to access and creating $5 rounds for kids who are members of youth on course. But then, you, you know, there reaches a certain point, like sort of what you're saying in some of those high schools where go golf might not be visible or accessible or available. Um, for kids. And then we've, if, if, if that runs out, then we're going to run out of it at colleges as well. Yep. And that's not what, that's not what we want. Tell yep. me about in your, in your playing career um, of three and a half years now at this <laughs> point, what have been some highlights for you? Man, some highlights, you know, it's, it's it for me, because I'm still in the game, of course, 
you know, first time breaking 90, first time breaking 85, first time breaking 80. You know, those were, were some some highlights. Um, I never forget my first eagle on hole four at Independence Golf Course. Um, went 270 off the tee. I can I can tell you that the, the, went 270 off the tee, 231 to the green, and had a 19-foot putt for eagle. I, got, I still got it on camera. I just felt like I was going to get that eagle, so I, I recorded the putt um, and made it. Um, I, I'll never forget that first eagle. Uh, never forget my first eagle on a par four, hole 17, dogwood. Um, drove it 290 and stuck it about three feet from the pin and made the eagle putt. You know, I never forget the ups and the downs, you know, where how golf can just be a funny sport when you think you have it figured out and then you play the next round and you like, I don't have it figured out yet. Um, I told my buddies, I'm probably the only guy that they know that shot a 102 at seven o'clock tea time in the morning and then went and played another round and shot a 78 in the same day. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, and I, I'll never forget that. I you know hopefully I never shoot a 102 again, which of course is golf, so it's possible. But I don't know if I would ever shoot a 100 and a 70 um, in the same day. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, starting my outings and being able to play some of the, the best courses in the area, just seeing some of the scenery, you know, those yeah. are just memorable moments. But, oh, I would say, and another great memory was, quick story. So um, it's my birthday. My girlfriend and I, our birthdays are two days apart from one another. Her birthday is September 18th. Mine is September 20th. So two years ago, we decided to go down to Miami to celebrate our birthdays together. So we're down in Miami. I carry my golf clubs with me. A buddy of mine, Mel, um, I hit Mel up. I'm like, Mel, I want to play some golf. He's like, cool. Um, I got you covered. He tells me the golf club, golf course we're going to play. We played at um, Marriott Turnsbury private course. <clears throat> and he said, my buddy will take care of the round. And cause I looked at the cost of the round. And I'm like, man, you know, I'm thinking like a 80, 90 buck spot. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking like two, $300 for a round of golf. Um, you know, so he's like, my buddy will cover it. And I'm like, well, who is your buddy? Anyway, we get to the golf course. His buddy's late. Tea time, eight 30. It's nine 15. I'm like, yo, oh, gosh. yeah, I know. I'm like, they're not going to let us on the course. There's no way we're going to get on. Like, all right, bam, just, Settle in. So his buddy shows up. It is Alonzo morning. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I think we might be getting on then. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, man, played a round of golf with Alonzo morning in Miami um, for my birthday weekend. And I never forget we were on one hole and there were some bushes and Alonzo got ready. If you, if you go to my Instagram at comedian, bam, comedian, B-A-M-M, -M, you'll see this picture. Um, this guy comes out of the bushes with a camera to record Alonzo teeing off. So my uh -huh. buddy Mel took a was videoing the guy videoing Alonzo. So I got out the golf cart and took a picture of Mel videoing the guy videoing Alonzo <laughs> <laughs> on the course. But that was that was as far as like a round of golf. That was one that that I, I'll always remember for the rest mm -hmm. of my life, you know. And I'll probably play with him again because him and Mel are real cool. And I'm sure I'll play mm -hmm. with Mel again. So it probably will be another time that we play together. But that first time, I'll never mm -hmm. forget. 
you hinted at it a little bit, and I, I want to hear more about some of the gatherings and the, it feels weird to say gatherings during a pandemic, but <laughs> wow. the gatherings and the outings that you've, that you've had yeah. with, with golfers amongst your, um, I'm just going to call it community yeah. of, of golfers that you've, that you've built. Tell me a little bit about that. So last year when the pandemic hit, um, it was in March, um, and I never forget. It was like the first week. No, it was like the last week in March or first week in April. Um, <clears throat> I texted a, a couple of my buddies that are in the NNGA. I'm in the NNGA, National Negro Golf Association, um, and I can give you history on that a little bit in a second. But I hit up a couple of those, and I said, hey, man, it's going to be a Sunday. Nothing's open. Churches are closed. Um, it's going to be 80 degrees. It's going to be the sun out. Are y'all afraid? I'll never forget. That's what the text said. Um, hey, man, Sunday, 80 degrees. Y'all scared? And I put the little golf swing emoji. And so they text back, no. I said, well, I'm going to set two tee times up. And I set two tee times up at Mill Corner out in Powhatan. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I got a, another text. Hey, another buddy of mine want to play. I said, okay. Added another tee time. Long story short, I ended up having 24 guys come out and some guys even came down from D.C. because in D.C. they were totally shut down. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they were like, hey, what are we going to do next Sunday? That's what some of the guys asked. So I said, well, I'll put another outing together. Did it again. The next week I had about 30 something guys come out. Well, I ended up doing it every Sunday leading all the way up until July when it just became a little too hot to play. Um, and I would have as many as. 72 golfers out. So mm-hmm. what I ended up doing was booking a lot of courses out in Williamsburg, like Kings Mill and um, Williamsburg National and Golden Horseshoe. So what ended up happening was there was a crew that would come from Tidewater. Of course, a lot of guys would come from Richmond and some guys were coming down from Maryland to play in what I started calling the backswing outings. And the reason I started calling it that because I started a company called The Backswing. So it ended up becoming like an official thing where, you know, we would do the scans and, and I started to do points. So this year I want to make that even bigger. Um, I want all the money that I'm using for the backswing to go to HBCU um, colleges. And then also what I've started out of that is the ball um, giveaway uh, or, or should it not giveaway the, the, the ball system where if you bring me um, any old balls that you may find that are playable, not, scuffed all up but even if you bring those bring them but i'm selling those i'm starting to sell those balls on amazon or at different courses and 100 of those proceeds from those balls will go to buy golf balls for virginia state and virginia union university for this upcoming golf season so sort of a giving process that i've started through the backswing and just it, and it happened organically you know and now i got a roster of about 400 go- golfers on my roster that I'll be reaching out to to start playing golf. So just now trying to figure out how to make that even bigger and build upon it. So, yeah, but it was something that organically started because of the pandemic. One text message to some buddies, two tea times, and now it's 400 people on the list. Where can people find out about the backswing? So we're in the process of building a website now. Um, get out, You know, I do so much that I'm having yeah. to hand like the – the construction of it under my leadership, of course, but the construction of it to some young individuals. Um, but if I would say around March 1st, I know you're listening to this 
podcast now, but around March 1st, start to look on my uh, Instagram at the backswing. You can even start to um, follow at the backswing now and everything can start to build from that. We do have a podcast that will be launching March 1st as well. Well, the first week of March as well, um, which I've gotten a lot of recordings done for that. And then there's a website that will be popping up at, you know, the backswing, um, the backswing, um, e- the backswing events.com. Okay. And that'll be the podcast as well as the golf outings. But it, just okay. Google the backswing golf, Richmond, Virginia, if you forget all that stuff and it'll pop up. Well, and then the next thing is shameless plug here is to get you to set up a VSGA social club so that all of your members can have a handicap index and receive the benefits of yes. membership. And, well. and that, so, yeah, and that was the, that was you the thing. Well. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing last year because some of the, you know, I wanted to do a net tournament, but a lot of the guys could not join the net tournament because they did not have, again, um, so I got your email and I actually spoke with the young lady about two weeks ago with VSGA. Um, and we're in the process of figuring out how to make that happen and make okay, sure great. we have enough people. But yeah, I'm on it, bro. I'm on it. That's excellent. That's excellent. That makes me happy. Yeah. Makes me feel like I'm I'm doing my job apart from recording the podcast. You are. You so are. let's um let's wrap it up. I'm interested to know what has been in the two and a half, three and a half years that you've been playing golf. What's been your favorite course in Virginia? Hmm. <clears throat> I'm going to have to say independence. Um, I, I have a, I have two favorite courses. Um, independence is my favorite to just go out and play. Um, the course is beautiful. Um, GIF always keeps it in great shape. Um, so independence, I, I love it when he lets the rough grow up so that, mm-hmm. You know, because independence is, is it's sort of a narrow but straight at your course in a sense. A lot of undulations, that's where the magic and the tricks are if you don't know the course. But when he lets that rough grow up, man, it really makes that core for, course a tough course. Now, I say that now three and a half years later, but two years ago, I'd be like, oh, my God. But now <laughs> I love that. The other course that's my favorite is Royal New Kent. And the reason I love Royal New Kent, that's the course that I ever – first course I ever shot – even par on nine holes, which is one of the toughest courses around. But I love blind shots. And mm-hmm. Royal New Kent has its um, share of blind shots. Um, and I love that. I love that about the game. Um, so those are the two courses. 1A is going to be Independence and 1B is going to be Royal New Kent. And both of those greens run fast and true. And that's mm-hmm. why another reason I love those greens, you got to be able to stick it at independence. And as well as at independence, you know, those crown greens, um, you know, a lot of people say, oh, this is an easy course. If you miss greens at independence, it, that course can get tough. It can get mm-hmm. real tough. So you got to be hitting GIRs. If you're not, that, that course gets very tough. Um, yeah, it'll be fun to see the return of uh, the state open to yeah. independence this summer. Yeah. It'll be fun fun to see that after a few years, after the seven years it was at Ballyhack. So well, Bam, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to be able to to share your story and to share your golf your golf journey here. Uh, not a problem, man. Thank you for having me. Um shout out to VSGA for all the work that you all have been doing for years and years and years um in the state and all the lives that you guys are changing. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of it. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Golf in the Commonwealth and big thanks to Micah White. I hope you'll take a second and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and please rate us and leave a review. Remember to visit your VSGA member club to renew your VSGA membership for 2021 or visit vsga.org and renew online. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the fairway soon.